Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. In the year 2000, some studies showed that the normal level of anxiety within a child in the year 2000 was the same level of anxiety that if a child in the 1950s had, they would be put in psychiatric care. They would be institutionalised if they had that level of anxiety. Now, this data has a few different thoughts around it. One is that they didn't have um, the understanding of mental health back then and they didn't have the, the care facilities to do it. But what, what it shows is that there has been a significant increase in anxiety within young people. We'll read these next two upside down. We'll read the bottom one first. In 2007, we see that young people aged age between 16 and 24, one in four will suffer a mental health condition that will need professional care at some point in, their, in, in that age demographic. So between the ages of 16 and 24, one in four people have to see a professional because of a mental health condition. The article above it was taken last year, it's 2022, and says that people aged between 16 and 85, one in five people will need professional care, which means if you're over 85, you're in the clear. Not really. What it actually shows is that if we take this data over the past 20 years or so, we see that mental health is deteriorating within, deteriorating within society. And so, so today we're going to talk about, have the awkward conversation about mental health. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we prepare to open Scripture, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds and open our spirits. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us lovingly and carefully where we need to hear it today so that we can be who you want us to be and we can help others. In Jesus' name, amen. Three sort of disclaimers before we dive in to today's message. The first is that today as we talk about mental health, we're not talking about the serious mental health conditions. We don't, number one, we don't have time. And number two, it would be foolish for us to even attempt that. So we're not talking about the serious, serious mental health conditions that require serious professional help. Now with that, if you do know someone that has a serious mental health condition or if you yourself need some care, let us know and we will direct you to professional help. We walk alongside people all the time. It's not that we don't want to dust our hands of, of what's going on. We're there with you and for you but we acknowledge that we, as a church, are not equipped to be able to do those sort of journeys. We do it with the help of professionals. The second disclaimer is that earlier this year I burnt out, so I had a mental health condition. I'm not sharing about that today. I will at some point, but that's not today's message. Thirdly, I want to make it really clear that I'm a pastor. I'm not a mental health professional. So, it, once again, would be silly for me to say... This is the fix. And you're, oh, the Tim said that this is how we do it. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what it's going to be like at all. 
So what we are going to do today is this. We're firstly going to see what the Bible has to say about mental health. And then we're going to talk about what we can do about it. So let's dive in. First thing, when it comes to mental health in the Bible, we've got to understand what mental health is. And firstly, if we read, if you can read, because it's really small up on the screen, that looked huge on my computer. Um, We see in Genesis 2 that God made you. God made Adam from the dust, he made Eve from the rib of Adam, and God made you. In Psalm 139 it says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Firstly, I want you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You, you are made and you are amazing. You, you are a physical being. You have mind, you have, you have emotion, you have heart, you have spirit, you have senses, eyes to see, you smell, sight touch you are fearfully and wonderfully made now for some of us you know the eyes aren't as good as they used to be or the hearing you know if you're a teenager it's selective but but the senses are there and they are a good thing and with that as as people made in the image of god you have emotions and emotions are good things they are they are great things and and you feel the emotion and I want you to know that, that just because you have strong emotions doesn't mean you've got bad mental health. If you have strong emotions, that you're made in the image of God. Emotions are emotions, and emotions are good. Emotions are there for a purpose. Emotions are there for a season. Craig Rochelle says that, that emotions are valid but not permanent. You see, if, if God is good, he's good all the time. If God is good, he's, he's good day in and day out. God's res- restorative plan on the cross is there whether, whether we're feeling it or not. God is always good. And sometimes when we, we're feeling sad, that doesn't stop God from being good. He's still good. You may not feel it, but he's good. When you're happy, God is good. When you're grieving, God is good. When you're angry, God is good. God is, is eternal. God is permanent. But our emotions come and go. And that's normal and that's okay. A few years ago, we had a cat that died. So that's a better response. Nine o'clock laughed at that. (laughs) The empathy, like seriously, oh. And at the time, it was sad. And there was grief. And we were upset. And it was our cat. And it was huge. And for a season, it was really sad. And some of our family members felt it deeper than others. But in 10 years' time, every time I hear bagpipes, if I think of the cat, like it's not healthy. I'm hanging on a bit too tight to the cat. In the moment, it's okay to be sad. Now, I'm not saying there's a 10-year window on grief. What I'm saying, like, is that each of us is different. And each of us will experience these emotions in your own way, and that's okay. But I'm just saying that there is a time period for the emotions that is appropriate to the individual. And sometimes if the emotion lingers too long, that can start to affect our mental health. Today we're going to see just how that plays out in a passage in Scripture. Now to set up this passage in Scripture, we're going to read about a guy called Elijah. And to give you the backdrop to this story, Elijah is a prophet of God. And God has sent Elijah to speak to the king at the time and to say, hey, you are doing the wrong thing. You're actually worshipping a different God, a false God, and you need to change your ways. Now, the false God at the time was called Baal. And Baal had his own prophets. 
And, and Elijah went to the king and said, hey, I know things aren't going well. I know there's all sorts of things happening in the country and the land. And God said, he will fix them if you worship him. And the king said, well, I'm not sure which God to listen to, so how about we have a bit of a contest? And Elijah says, okay. So they build these two altars. And on this altar they put a sacrifice and the, the prophets of Baal trying to... The, the deal was, if your God is real and the most powerful God, what will happen is all of a sudden, without you touching it, the altar will burst into flames and the sacrifice will, will burn up. And so whoever does that's good, but I'm going to give you some fine print on this deal, on this contract. And the fine print is, if you lose, you die. That's a kicker, right? Make sure, just read the fine print, it's important. And so this is what happens. The, the, the prophets of Baal are dancing around and Elijah's sort of actually revving them up a bit and telling them to do stuff and they're doing all sorts of weird stuff. And he's like, you know, maybe, maybe your God's asleep. You know, sing louder, jump louder, do more. And they're, they're, these guys are in a frenzy. Nothing happens. It gets time for Elijah. And Elijah says, what I want you to do is on this altar, I want you to dig a trench all the way around it and I want you to dump water on it, heaps and heaps of water. So now the, the, the trench is full of water, the, the altar is covered in water, the sacrifice is covered in water, and he prays to God, God, show this king that you are real, so he may change his ways and the people will follow you once again. This pillar of fire comes flying down on the altar and not only burns up the sacrifice, but burns up all of the water and burns up all of the stones and there's this smoldering crater in the ground. And God shows his power. Now, the king did, did what he said he would do, and the, the worshippers of Baal are killed. Then enters the queen. Now, the queen liked Baal. It fitted with her lifestyle. And so she sends a message. She sends a, message, a messenger to, to Elijah saying, hey, what happened to the prophets of Baal? That's going to happen to you tonight. This is where we pick up the passage in Scripture. We read from Kings chapter 19 and verse 3. The message hits Elijah, and this is what he feels. Remember, we're starting with emotion because emotion is normal. Elijah was afraid. Next response is, and he ran for his life. There is a chemical in us. There is, there is things that God has placed in us that we need sometimes to have this response that is called fight or flight. And the fight or flight response is a very good response. If you're, as maybe we heard at communion, trying to cross a road, was it Lydia and Sturt? Was that the challenge we had? <laughs> Maybe don't condone that as a church, but it was a good thing. If you're trying to cross the street and someone's driving towards you, all of a sudden you need to jump out of the way. You don't sit there going, hmm. You know, there is a response that God has given you and created your body with the adenosine triphosphate glands within your muscles that they just react. And that's the instant energy that you have that you can just launch all of a sudden, jump, you can only do it once or twice because then you start, <laughs> that's the lactic acid system kicking in. But you've got this stored up energy in your body and all of a sudden you can act out of this fight or flight response. It's normal. It's meant to be there. Jump away from a car if something's happened, fight or flight. It's, it's a good thing. And we see Elijah is afraid, fight or flight. He flights. He flights for his life. He's out of there. He ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. 
He left his servant there and while he himself went on to a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and swept. <laughs> yeah, nine o'clock didn't laugh at that one either. <laughs> anyway, he came to a broom bush and this is where it actually gets really serious. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. For an entire day, he's been afraid. And all he can think of is, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And the whole day, he's running. He's running away. He's flighting. He's flighting and he's running away. And he's afraid and he's scared and he's afraid and he's scared. And it starts to just totally consume everything that is him. Now just picture this, two days before, he prayed to God and a pillar of fire burned up the sacrifice. He knows he's in tune with God. He knows he can hear from God. But there's this response of fear that has driven him to a place in his mind that is not healthy. And he's just stewing in his thoughts and he's isolated himself and it's not a good spot and now he wants to end his life. That is not normal thinking. That's not healthy thinking. Now that last verse in verse 5, I've only read half of it and we're going to circle back and finish it off in just a moment. Because I want you to know that you can feel intense emotion without leaning into poor mental health. You can feel intense emotion and that can be normal. I'm not going to say it's be healthy because sometimes the intense emotion is a negative emotion, but it is normal. For example, in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, we see Jesus himself literally about to bear the weight of the world as he goes to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and it says, and being in anguish... He prayed more earnestly, and the sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, literally about to take the weight of the world, the weight of the world, sins upon his shoulders, is in anguish. Does that mean he has poor mental health? No. It's just the appropriate emotion for the appropriate space. And Jesus is is holding it heavy. And he's sweating and he's, he's sitting in the emotion appropriately. And he's praying to God. He's doing the right things, but he's got this intense emotion. Which brings us to one of the first things that we can do about it is follow the example that Jesus gave us. And that Jesus was not alone. Even though he had his disciples, his disciples were buffheads just like you and me. And they failed pretty amazingly at times like you and me. And in Matthew 26, he says, when he returns to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus knew that he was going into a place of anguish. He was going into a stressful place to plead with God about what was going to go on, knowing, knowing what was going to happen. It's... it's It was raw emotion, but he made sure he had people around him. And I want you to know that when it comes to your mental health, getting help is not a sign of weakness. Getting help is a sign of wisdom. Getting help is not weakness. Getting help is wisdom. 
You see, there's been generations of people growing up that says, you know what, I don't want to burden others with my mental health stuff. I don't want to share what I've been going through for someone else. So I just need to suck it up and be strong myself, which means I need to be silent. Hey, the data shows that mental health is spiralling out of control. One in five. One in five. Adults is struggling with this today. We've got to get help. Now, getting help may be getting some people around you, getting, getting a small group, getting some prayer. Getting help might be going to a professional, going to see your GP, see, see a counsellor, see a psychologist. But I want you to know that getting help is not actually a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of wisdom and I would say a sign of strength because you'll come out better at the other side. There's a reason that we have connect cards here at church to to put down your prayer requests because people are going through stuff. And sometimes we vet like what's on the prayer request. Sometimes people will share everything and that might go to the staff and in a circle that we we read the whole lot. Other times we simplify it so that not everything's going out to the prayer team, but it's a special prayer team as well that, that has it. But you will be prayed for. You will be followed up. And if you need help, that's a really simple tick. It's a really simple way to get help. Other times, you come to a prayer meeting after the service. We've always got you know, staff up the front or leaders up the front to pray with. You can talk to your small group leaders. I want you to know that you're not alone. You are not alone when it comes to your mental health. There is help there for you. And sometimes that means that I want to talk to a pastor, I want to talk to, to someone from the church, and that's great. But I want you to know when it comes to the serious, serious mental health stuff, we're going to be there with you, but we'll refer you to the best possible health. Now, best possible help. If you've got a toothache, I'm not going to pull out your tooth. <laughs> I'll take you to the dentist. We'll go together. It'll be great. <laughs> you don't want me on the drill. <laughs> I use the wrong drill. No, you just, we will get you the best help, but we're not always the greatest people to, it, to do it. To actually show the best love, we'll get professional care. I want you to know that you're not alone. Jesus had help. He had people with him, people to to work with him and help him. Now, when it comes to to medical research and science, when they say new sort of new research, that sort of means anywhere in the last 100 years. And so there's this new sense of research that's come out of this thing called neuroplasticity. Now, the way I think about this in my brain, I call it like brain Play-Doh. Neuro, brain, plasticity, plasticine. Brain Plato, right? And what that means is your brain can change. Your brain can, can move and think differently in the pathways that you, you usually think through. For example, can you remember when you learned how to drive? Yeah? We're about to have two l platers. Yeah. <laughs> That's the same reaction that we had <laughs> at the nine o'clock. <laughs> and they laughed at the dead cat, like lots of empathy. <laughs> Two L players. Now, when you first learn to drive, there's lots going on. You've got a signal, you know, there's brakes, there's pedals, you know. The, in the passenger seat in the footwell, I've worn a patch where I keep hitting the imaginary brake every time I've, I've got one of my, my teenagers driving next to me. It's you're learning. And as you learn, your brain fires these thought patterns to get to the destination. And the more that you fire along these pathways, these neural pathways, the easier and quicker that thought transfers. 
to the point where, after a while, you don't have to think as much about how you drive. Some people in Ballarat, I'd say, don't even think at all. No, I'm joking, joking, joking. But after a while, it becomes so natural that, that you don't have to think. It's, it's easier to think that thought than what you once did. Now, that's the same with positive thoughts, but it's also the same with negative thoughts. Someone goes and says, oh, yeah, I don't like that person. You shouldn't either because of blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, that's my, not, not my experience, but why don't I like them? Oh, they, they, they smell. You have to think about it. And the second time you try and think that pathway, you go, oh, and they don't like their haircut. And all of a sudden, these pathways get easier to think, and all of a sudden, you, you see that person, you don't like them really quickly because you've formed a negative pathway. Now, somehow, amazingly, even though this is sort of fairly new medical science, the Bible actually has some answers to this. Surprise, surprise. For example, Romans 12, which we know very well because we've studied Romans recently, says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Neuroplasticity means that these pathways don't have to stay forever. You can make new pathways in your brain. What was a negative thought, you can make a positive thought. The way that you once used to picture someone, and man, I really hate them, but I know God loves them, I need to change that, can be changed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 32 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In the King James Version, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. King James Version often takes the negative tense on a verse, and it's like, if you get this wrong, the negative things of life are going to flow. The last version I want to share of Scripture in this it says that is the Good News Version. The Good News Version of the Bible was created at a time where not everyone could read and write. And they wanted a simple version of the Bible with simple language. It then sort of became the, the version that you would give children because the language was easy to understand. It didn't have big words. It was sort of simplified. But actually, the Good News Version probably has the most accurate interpretation of the first part of this verse. Because back then, the original language, when they talked about heart, they meant core. Heart means brain. You don't think with your heart, but heart represents who you are. So the Good News Version says this, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now I'm going to, I'm going to splice the versions, but no, it's the same verse, and this is Tim's paraphrase of Scripture. I'm not altering it, I'm just splicing it. Be careful how you think, for out of it are the issues of life. Be careful how you think, everything flows from it. The way you think will dictate everything you do. The pathways that are in your brain, the pathways that have been wired, will influence relationships with others, will influence your outlook on life. It is vital that we think right. And one of the most powerful ways to think right and get our brain in a space that, that God wants us to be when it comes to our mental health is through the simple thing, I say it's simple, but it's often hard, of prayer. Prayer is powerful. So far, the two examples of people going through stuff in Scripture, Elijah and Jesus, both are in prayer. It's the common denominator when things get tough. Go to prayer, go to prayer, go to prayer. Now, to ease up a little bit, and for those that are visual, like me, 
We've got this picture of a four-wheel drive. Now, all of our grey nomads are starting to come back from going north over winter, and a lot of them have four-wheel drives and big caravans, and every time they head off, I picture them doing this. I know it's not true, but I still like the idea that this is what they're doing. There's, there's old grey nomads off the road, and they're probably on freeways going to really nice caravan parks up in Queensland, but anyway. Now, what happens with four-wheel driving, especially in this kind of conditions, is that they get off-road and they find a road that, that the, 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 the clay or the, the dirt is getting water and, and treads and spinning the wheels and heading up hills and all these things start, start to take an effect on where the wheels sit on the road. And slowly they, they take and erode the sides of the road and the more that the, the cars travel on it, the deeper the sides of the road get and they start to form what they call ruts. And these ruts are formed over time and through repetition with some external factors, water and all sorts of things happening and the ruts get deeper and deeper and deeper. And often it gets to the point where the vehicle, either the wheels don't touch the bottom of the ground or the centre of the... the um, the centre of the, the road gets high enough that it, it impacts the bottom of the ground and they get stuck. And it's called getting stuck in, stuck in a rut means that the, the ruts are so deep that the wheels can't turn to get out. Stuck on a rut means that they're island, they're beached, and the wheels are spinning and they're not getting anywhere. And either way, if you're stuck in a rut or stuck on a rut, you can't move. You're forced to, to do this journey or forced to get stuck. Now, sometimes in life, you get stuck in good ruts. There are good ruts in life. There are pathways in your brain that are so deeply entrenched in who you are that are great practices. Hey, life gets tough, tough we get praying. That's a good rut. I have a practice at the start of the day that, that, you know, whatever that looks like for you, that I get up and I spend some time in the Word or I get up and I brush my teeth, that's a good rut. Brushing teeth is a really good rut to do. You know, there's some good practices that we can do in life that we just naturally do, and they almost happen without thinking because the, the tires are just following the, the pathways in your brain that are just established, and they're good. But sometimes you've been thinking negatively about this certain situation or a certain person or a certain thing so long that there is a rut that doesn't mirror the life that God has for you, that doesn't mirror kindness, generosity, compassion, love, care. Rather, it's, it's mirroring more of bitterness and anger and twistedness. And these ruts can start to form. And sometimes we feel like we're stuck on a rut and I don't know how it could ever change. Now, when it comes to four-wheel driving, they have what they call a recovery system, which means if you're stuck on a rut... Firstly, you can't go anywhere, so you need to get out of where you're at. If the rut's deep enough, you've got to climb out the window because the doors don't open. It's not comfortable, but there's only one way out, and it's tough. Sometimes you've got to go backwards, tow the vehicle out. You've got to get out of that. Dr. Carolyn Leaf says that 12 minutes a day of prayer, if you pray for 12 minutes a day over the period of two months, if they were to scan your brain... Over two months, they can actually see that, that the way that your brain fires actually changes. I don't know how they do that. I don't know if they just cut the top of your brain off and have a look and then put it back. I don't know. I'm not a brain doc mechanic, 
doctor, whatever. But prayer is so powerful in changing the ruts, changing the, the pathways in your brain, that they can see visual changes in the way your brain works with, with the, that incredible technology that they have to be able to monitor it through a brain scan. And for just over 10 minutes a day, you can change the way that your brain fires. You can make new pathways in your brain. See, there's another thing called neurochemistry, which is about the, the chemicals that your body creates, the chemicals and hormones that, that are a part of your fearfully and wonderfully made body. And one of the, the overriding norms when it comes to neurochemistry is that if you want positive chemical change within your body, there are some things that you need to do. Firstly, exercise is really good. Physical exercise helps your brain. Eating well is good for you. <coughs> this is amazing, right? <laughs> sleep. Sleep is good for you. Laughter is good for you. Fun is good for you. These are things that, that sound like crazy. I remember thinking, like, this is not rocket science. I met with one of our elders who is a professional in mental health care. And she said, yeah, it's not rocket science. It's brain science. I'm like, yeah, that's good. If we go back to Kings for a second, we read about what happens to Elijah, we read this. Remember, we left Elijah under a tree, the broom tree, where he is just done. He's so full of fear that he wants to die. He's so full of fear. He's praying to God, God, just take my life. This is no good. Life's not worth it. I'm so afraid. I'm afraid of what tomorrow holds. I'm going to read the entirety of verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread that was baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate it and drank it and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and then strengthened by the food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights. What was he strengthened by? By a pillar of fire that, that licked up the, the, the water and made a crater in the ground and burned everything? Was he, was he strengthened by the angel? I reckon, like, man, that would have cost me energy. If an angel taps me on the shoulder, my fight or flight response would be there, and I'd be like, ah, angel! I don't know what the correct response to seeing an angel is, but that might be something along that. But it was the food. He had something to eat, something to drink, and some rest. Sometimes we think that, that our mental health, there's got to be some deep spiritual thing. There's got to be some quick fix. And God goes, you know what? You're created a certain way. Next time you're reaching for the Doritos, grab an apple. It's better for your brain. It's better for your mental health. Instead of ordering an Uber, Uber Eats, while watching Netflix, go for a walk. You still grab a coffee, but walk to get your coffee. Don't get it delivered. Bit of exercise. Stop watching that show at night time. Get off your phone. See, I'm preaching to myself. You know, get off your phone. Go to bed earlier. Get a good sleep. Spend time with people, God-fearing, God-loving people that make you laugh. They bring you joy. It's good for your brain. It's good for you. I want you to know that everyone is different. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12 says there's one body but many parts. We are all different. And because we are all different, everybody's mental health is different. So just say that you are reading your Bible and seeking God's heart and your prayer and you've got a small group and you're doing life with others and you're eating well and sleeping well and exercising. Even if you've got all those things together, we live in a broken world and that's no guarantee that mental health is going to be perfect all the way through because this life happens and the, God's Word's full of people that, that suffer with mental health stuff. The world gets too much. Peter denies Jesus multiple times. Man, lying, deceiving, you know, ah, oh, terrible stuff. Everyone's mental health is different. But I want you to know that, that by living in a way that God created us to live, you actually have a better chance of positive mental health moving forwards. In today's world, positive mental health is a battle. And I want us to fight for that. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we get ready to close. You see, for some of you, it might be that I'm going to make a decision this week because there's a pathway in my brain that keeps going towards that vice or that addiction or that thing, and I know it's not healthy. I actually know it's doing me harm. But with prayer with loving accountability with others side by side, we can fix that thing, that pathway, that addiction. Sometimes you need professional help. And the first step is saying, hey, I can't do this alone, I need professional help to fix that. For some of you, when it comes to, to mental health, it's like, you know what, i just got to go for a walk. I just have to. I've got to get, get up and get active. I've got to get to bed early. I've got to watch, stop watching that TV show because I know it's doing me harm. I think differently when I watch that. God doesn't want us to have bad mental health. But the world just seems to just bombard us with TV shows and things that try and get us addicted with quick poppy ads and flashy stuff that just create emotions that we're not supposed to stay in. The emotions are God-given, but they're just designed to hook us to these emotions of jitteriness and craziness. And I want you to know one of the greatest ways of fighting mental health is by being the church. Come together, worship God. Come together, share your problems. You don't have to be here on a Sunday, although this is pretty good whether it's one-on-one at a coffee shop, or it's a text message, hey, I'm thinking of you, or it's a text message, hey, I'm doing it tough today. I've got a number of people that if I need help, I text them, and it's deep and theological. It has two letters, and the, the text message is PP. means please pray. That's it. That's as deep as it needs to be. They don't know what's going on, but they will pray. Do you have people you can text PP to? So I want you to know when it comes to church, we don't fight alone. God fights with us. And we may feel like that we're surrounded. You may feel like that there's pressure coming in from every side. But we, when we stand in God's presence and we fight, He's there. 
when we call out like Elijah did, God is right there. You don't even finish the verse where Elijah's like, I don't want to live. God's like, I'm right there for you. And God's right there for you. I want you to know we can fight. We can fight by worship. It's how we fight our battles. We don't fight our battles on, by ourselves. We don't fight our battles by running away. We fight our battles by being the church, by being who God's called us to be. So let's stand and sing as we fight the battle of mental health. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, I pray that we would do so knowing that we are not alone, that we would do so knowing that you are with us, that we would do so knowing that you fight with us and for us for our mental health. Guys, we come before you. We may feel like we're surrounded, but we release that to you. And we ask that you would speak to us, that you would do a work in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind, in our thoughts, so that we would be who you want us to be. So our mental health would be what you want us to be. And we would be joy and laughter and salt and light to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.